If you have your Bibles with you, or if you are using the one in the pew uh, in front of you, if you take those out, please, and turn to Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. And you found Deuteronomy 11, and I ask you to stand as we hear read the Word of God. Let's remember this about the word that you hold and the word that you're going to hear. The grass weathers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So we come now to the word of the Lord, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. Observe therefore all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And so that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers, to give to them and their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it, from the beginning of the year to its end. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful. Or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain. And the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. And now verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you would fulfill your promise to bless this reading and hearing of your word. Lord, it's food for our souls. And so we pray that you would break now this bread of life to us. Feed us, nourish us, strengthen us, encourage us, grow us. Through the truth of your word, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Last week, as we were in this same passage, we took a little time to delve into the character of God, which is always a good activity to commit our time and our minds to, because there's so much of the character of God to explore. But in particular, we looked at the way that God reveals his character to us through his call to his people to obey. And we discovered this about the character of God, that he is a God who is on our side. God is for us. He wants us to get it. God wants us to make it. God shares some of the same goals that we have for ourselves. We all want to prosper. We do. We all want to be successful. We want to thrive. We do. In our lives as individuals, And is our our life together as a church family. God has some of these same goals. And so for these people gathered before Moses on the plains of Moab, together in the presence of God, 
and for their descendants, even after they sin, and listen, they're going to sin a lot, and even after they turn away from God, and they're going to do that a lot as well, and even after God has to punish them, and He's going to have to do that, God will still be faithful to this goal for His people because He promised He would be. Jeremiah 29.10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God is for us, isn't he? He created us with this capacity to experience joy and peace and deep satisfaction. And he's given access to us, to those things, through this means. Obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. So, God, knowing how we're designed, and because he is by character loving and compassionate, and because he is by nature our advocate, God acts to make sure that we get this message of obedience and how important it is. And so last week we talked about RIP. Who remembers RIP? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe we should repeat last week's sermon. Who remembers RIP? Rest in peace. Here's how we rest in peace with God. Here's how God does it for us to remind us to obey. The R stands for repetition. God knows that we need to hear things over and over again. And so in these verses, he repeats himself and he says, obey, obey, obey. God also knows that he creates to be visual people, and so the eye is for imagery. We need that picture that's worth a thousand words, and so God gives them to us so that we remember to obey. He says, tie his word on our foreheads, foreheads, tie his word on our hands. A visual picture to remember the importance of obedience. Finally, the P is for pattern. We all have rhythms to our lives. We all have patterns to our lives. The word of God has to be preeminent in all of those things. And so God says, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, talk about the Word of God. Because when we study the Word of God only in an ivory tower, sometimes the truth we study doesn't intersect with our life. You know the mom or the dad who faithfully has their quiet time every morning. And then they come out of their bedroom, they emerge from their quiet time and they go to their kitchen table and they yell at their spouse or they yell at their kids. You know it's the truth. You've done it. I've done it. Okay, well, somewhere that pattern of our life, kitchen table pattern, isn't being impacted by the Word of God. We had a member here, very faithful member, and I encountered one of his colleagues uh, slash subordinates. And we discovered that we knew the same person. I said, oh, he's a member of our church. And this guy responded, don't tell me that guy claims to be a Christian. Because somehow his Christianity wasn't part of the rhythm of his work life. Obedience to God's word in every rhythm of our life. So R-I-P, repetition, imagery, patterns, God does all of that so that you and I will remember how important it is that we obey his word in our lives. This morning... This morning, I want us to consider the blessings that accompany our obedience, the the benefits to you and to me of obeying the Lord. We all know from experience, particularly from our childhood, either with our parents or our teachers, that the toughest kind of obedience for all of us is the obedience that is founded on 
Because I said so. Dad, Mrs. Smith, whatever. Why do I have to do this? Because I said so. But why? Because I said so. But I don't understand. You don't have to understand. You just have to do what I say. Because I said so. And you know how it goes. God isn't like that. He tells us clearly here why we should obey in the obedience and the blessings that come from that obedience. The first one is this. Strength. Look at verse 8. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you today so that you may have strength. Obedience to God's word makes God's people strong. Obedience to God's word makes God's people strong. Let's say that together because remember repetition is important. Obedience to God's word makes God's people strong. One more time and you'll have it. Obedience to God's word makes God's people strong. That's the truth. But sometimes when we are honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we often think the opposite is true. We tend to believe that obeying the word of God is exhausting instead of exhilarating. We believe that obedience drains us instead of energizes us. And and why is that? The answer could be different for each one of us. But when we have that feeling that the word of God and obedience to it drains us, then something is out of line in our hearts. Something is out of line in our mind and our view of God and his call on our lives. Perhaps obedience exhausts us. And drains us because obedience to God conflicts with what we want. And the battle between these two wants, what God wants for us and what we want for ourselves, is often exhausting. It's draining. It's a battle. Perhaps we have the wrong goal for obedience. We disingenuously use obedience as a tool to manipulate God. We don't really want to obey, but maybe if we obey, God will do this thing that we want him to do when we bargain with God. That kind of obedience can be tedious. Whatever the reason, if you in your life find that obedience to God is not giving you strength, then you need to allow the word of God to function as your spiritual chiropractor, to snap your mind, your heart, your attitudes back into place, back in alignment with the truth of God. And the truth is, That God blesses us with strength for our obedience. We know that God's call on the lives of these people at this time on the plains of Moab is that they cross the Jordan and they go into the land and they take possession of the land that he has given to them. Strength for them to accomplish that task at that time will come to them through obedience. This is a quote from a really famous naval hero who was also a master of the English language. And this is a quote. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I'm strong to the finish because I eats me spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor man. End quote. (laughs) We watch the muscles pop out on Popeye when he squeezes open and downs that can of spinach. In fact, without his spinach, Popeye's not strong enough to do anything. Without his spinach, he's easily defeated by his nemesis, the bearded, muscle-bound Bluto. 
Obedience is the spiritual spinach for God's people. Truly it is. Obedience to God's word is our spiritual spinach. Obedience makes those spiritual muscles pop out on our otherwise underdeveloped spiritual bodies. Obedience enables us to experience success when otherwise we would have experienced defeat. Obedience is what enables us to do what God has called us to do as individuals and as a church at this time. And it will never be any other way than this. And through obedience, God aims to bless his people by their obedience. And so when God's word is applied by God's spirit in our hearts and our lives, and when that leads us to obedience, then we should feel energized and exhilarated and strengthened. So we have to ban from our thinking any other attitude that we may be harboring about what obedience is really like. Obedience is not a burden, it's a blessing. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Who could rightly deny that the grace of God is an unbelievable blessing in our lives. God blesses us with his grace so that we may be obedient and therefore we may be strong. So let's shift our view, if we need to, about obedience. And ask ourselves this. You ask yourself, I'll ask myself. What obedience is God calling you to right now? There's something probably going through your mind that you need to do some way that you need to obey. Maybe there's a truth of God's word that you're trying to avoid, or maybe you're just trying to keep it at arm's length because you don't want to to deal with it. Because you think obedience to that truth is too difficult. You think that obeying that truth is that you're not strong enough. You think that obeying that truth will rob you of what you really want. Or you think that obeying that truth is going to complicate your life. Well, I would obey, Lord, but it's going to make a big mess. You're wrong. (laughs) I'm wrong if we think that. It's contrary. It's counter to the truth of God's word. You and I obey. God strengthens us. You and I obey. We We watch our lives become less complicated, clearer, and more streamlined because we're not sapped. And we're not weakened from the striving and the struggling and the striving and the struggling that comes as part and parcel with trying to live a life of peace while at the same time disobeying God. Obedience is a blessing. Obedience to God's word makes God's people strong. That's the first benefit. The second benefit of obeying God is a a long life in the land. Look in verse 9. It says in verse 8, obey all the commands that I'm giving you. Then verse 9 says, so that you may live long in the land, the Lord swore to your forefathers to give them and their descendants. So this long life in the land has two senses. One is the literal sense, a literal, physical, length, number of days. And it has this sense of quality of those days, the number of days and the quality. What are those days going to look like? 
Let's think about the first sense. Obedience means having a really long time in a really good place. That's what obedience results in. Disobedience, abusing the place, acting badly, means you're going to get kicked out. If someone says to you, hey, you know what? I have this multi-million dollar beachfront house. You know what? You can live there. You can live there for free. Just follow the house rules, take care of the place, no wild parties. So the owner of that multi-million dollar beach house pays you an unexpected visit. And he finds out that you've trashed the place. And he visits while you're in the middle of throwing a wild party. What's going to happen to you? You're going to get kicked out of that multi-million dollar beach house, aren't you? And you should be. Why would the owner allow you to abuse his generosity? Why would he allow you to abuse his house? The promised land belongs to God. It is his. It's a good land. It's a gift land. A gift of God's grace. And God will not allow his gift, nor will he allow his grace to be abused. And so he clearly states that he will not allow people who abuse his gift and his grace to remain in that land. Look in verse 17. If the people don't obey, God says through Moses, you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. And God made good on that promise. Because God is not a God who lies. He always tells the truth. He doesn't equivocate. He doesn't make idle or empty threats. He is always true all the time. And so God's people didn't obey him. And in 722 B.C., the ten tribes that comprised the northern kingdom of Israel, they were conquered by the Assyrians. And the people from those ten tribes were dispersed throughout the Assyrian Empire. In 586 B.C., the two tribes in the southern kingdom of Judah, they were conquered by the Babylonians and the people were carried off into exile. Their own disobedience shortened their time in the land. Land in which they could have stayed indefinitely had they obeyed the giver of the land and his grace. Sin and disobedience shorten the number of their days, but also the quality of those days. Look in verse 10. It says there that the land that you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. And so God draws a contrast between what they had always known and experienced, which was slavery in Egypt, and then 40 years of wandering in the desert, to what is about to be theirs in the future. And the gift that God is giving them is like nothing they have ever experienced before. Egypt may have been fertile, but it was an arid, dry land. It never rained. The Nile overflowed, flooded once a year, and all those waters had to be to gathered together and then you know, divvied out and managed during the course of the year. And so it was fertile, but the slaves, i.e. the Israelites, had tedious job of irrigating and cultivating the land. But God's gift is different. Look in verse 11. The land God is giving them is a land of mountains and valleys that drink the rain of heaven. According to verse 12, the land... God cares for. His eyes are continually on it from the beginning of the year to the end. Look in verse 14. God will send rain in the autumn and the spring so that God's people may experience abundance of grain and wine and oil. Abundance for their cattle so that the people may eat and be satisfied. Obedience brings abundance. Obedience brings abundance in this high quality of life. What more do people 
in an agrarian culture need than rain for their crops. God promises it. What more do dispossessed people need than a land to call their own? Look in verse 22. If you observe all these commands, verse 23, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, verse 24, every place where you set your foot will be yours. (laughs) Is this the blessing of the Lord or what? The people obey. God is going to bless them with what they need the most. But if they disobey, God promises this in verse 17. We already read it. God says, I'll shut the heavens so that it will not rain. And the ground will not produce, uh, yield produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. God followed through on this promise as well. The prophet Elijah one day appeared before that disobedient, idol-worshipping, evil-doing, Jezebel-marrying King Ahab. And he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Then we hear this from the prophet Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or in your father's days? Tell your sons about it. Let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. The field is ruined. The land mourns. The grain is ruined. The new wine dries up. Fresh oil fails. The vine dries up, the fig tree fails, the pomegranate, palm, and apple tree, all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. And then through the prophet Haggai, God said to these people who would not obey him, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their due. And the earth, its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Clearly, not only the length of days, but the quality of life plummets when we live in disobedience to God. Not only the the, the number of days, but the quality of life plummets when God's people live in disobedience to him. How blessed we would be if we really believed that was true. If we truly believed that that was true. That the quality of life, our life plummets when we are in the muck, in the mire of disobedience against the God who loves us and is for us. But the quality of our life soars When we live in obedience to the God who loves us and is for us. It really, truly is that simple. Look at verses 26, 27, and 28. Many Old Testament scholars believe that these are the most significant verses. These are the theme verses for the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. It says there, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. 
The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. And turn away from the way that I command you today by following other gods. A blessing for obedience, a curse for disobedience. It truly is that simple. I think here of Joshua. He's the man who succeeded Moses in leading people into the promised land. As he led them, they took over the land. And at the end of his life, during his farewell address, very similar to this farewell address that we're looking at today from Moses, Joshua says this to the people. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. See, Joshua is employing here a figure of speech. It was used by the ancient Greek philosophers like Plato. And it's called in Latin, reductio ad absurdum. Reductio ad absurdum, which means to reduce something to absurdity. And so it's a form of argument where you argue for your position by showing how absurd the other person's position is. And it refutes the position of your opponent by demonstrating the inevitably absurd conclusion to which their position would ultimately lead. So Joshua says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, how absurd that it would be undesirable to serve the Lord. Follow that thinking through to its logical conclusion and see where you end up. Then serve another God, says Joshua. Well, how absurd. Follow that thinking through to its logical conclusions. There are no other gods to serve. God never fears comparison. He invites it. In Isaiah forty twenty five, he says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Isaiah 46, 5. With whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. And they bow down and worship it. They lift it up to their shoulders and they carry it. And they set it in its place and there it stands. From that spot it cannot be moved. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. Remember this. Keep it in mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. Do you believe that about God? He is indescribable. He is amazing God. By asking that question, God is inviting us to look around. Compare God to anyone in your life. Compare God to anything in your life and then choose. Which one will land you in a better place? That thing, that person, or God? Choose. Joshua makes his now famous choice. And you know what he said. As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. That's his choice. So you and I this morning, we can choose obedience 
We can choose disobedience. But we need to make the comparison between the two and make the choice that is yours and mine to make. If you conclude that disobedience and the results of it will lead to a a life in which you'll thrive and find fulfillment and joy, then choose it. If not, choose obedience. And that choice needs to be made according to Joshua this day. Choose you this day whom you will serve. See, it's not wise to delay obedience. That's a good one to say together. It's not wise to delay obedience. Can we say that? It's not wise to delay obedience. It isn't. As we daily make the choice, let's remember a couple of things that Jesus said in the upper room with his disciples at the Last Supper. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. What could be a greater blessing than the indwelling presence of God? For what else would you exchange that? Choose. Same evening. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Our obedience keeps us grounded in and dwelling in the love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For what would you exchange that? Choose. I'm not talking here, please hear this, if you went to sleep, wake up. Because I'm not talking here about obedience as a way to salvation. I'm not talking here about obedience as a way to win God's acceptance. No person in this room, or no person who's ever lived, has the ability to obey that well. We could never attain it. And that's why we need Christ. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. Jesus met God's righteous standards perfectly, and then he applied his perfect obedience to those who will by faith believe in him. And in that moment of our faith, he says, yes, Lord, then he justifies us. And his sacrifice on the cross made it just as if I had never sinned. We are justified because of Jesus. Galatians 3.23, now before faith came, We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So you can't obey your way to God or acceptance by him. That's the amazing thing about the grace and the gift of Jesus. It's free to us. What I'm talking about this morning is about this life that you and I lead right now. The life that we're living as believers and how it must be marked by obedience. So that when God says, obey me, and we say, why, Lord? His answer to us isn't because I said so. God gives us some really good reasons why we should obey. You should obey and I should obey. He wants us to be strong and not weak. That strength is ours through obedience. He wants us to be prosperous, for our lives to be abundant, not needy. He wants our lives to be full and not dry and barren. This obedience, 
This abundance comes through obedience. God wants good things for you and for me. So choose you this day to obey. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that your spirit would open our eyes to your very simple truth. Lord, a truth that we try to complicate because sometimes we're attracted to the gray in our lives. It's easier than the black and the the white. We just confess confusion that we don't know what to do and somehow we take a pass. Lord, your word is very clear. There's blessing for obedience. There's curse for disobedience. It truly is that simple, Lord. In the situations that confront us in our lives, not that they're easy, Lord, not that obedience comes easily, but help us to believe the truth of your word, that with obedience there is blessing. We may not see it on this side of obedience, but on the other side, Lord, as you make things clear, as we submit ourselves to you, and even in the midst of confusion, there's your peace and there's your joy because we know that we are walking in obedience to you. Lord, I pray that our lives would be marked by obedience in every rhythm, every pattern of our lives. That we would be marked out as one, known as ones who live in obedience to you and to your word. So again, Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us. Speak, O Lord, through your word. Change us, mold us, make us more into your image. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.